everybody. Welcome to Untrumped, Episode 5. I'm Doug Padgett. That is Adam Schindler. Hi, Adam. Doug, how's it? Good, good. Hey, this is our, our fifth week in a row of having this conversation about how could two Christian leaders, two people of deep faith, end up on such different sides of their choice to vote for Donald Trump and trying to understand each other. And uh, a lot of this rooted out of my question for Adam. Hey, Adam, how could you vote for Donald Trump? And then last week, we took a little detour into how could you vote for Hillary Clinton, Mr. Padgett. So uh, we're going to revisit some of that. Our, our schedule for tonight is going to be, uh, I'm going to give a few reflections on what I've learned from Adam about what went into his choice to vote for, for Donald Trump and see if what I've heard from him uh, is how he would say it. Because one of my goals in all of this is that I would be able to say to someone else, I can explain to you in a way uh, that will make sense to you, and that if if Adam heard me say this is why Adam voted for Donald Trump, he would be willing to say, yeah, that, that pretty much gets at it, even if you'd say it much more articulately than, than I ever would. And then we're going to look at some... That's right. Uh, and then we're going to look at some questions from people that they have raised uh, for each of us. And then we're going to look into the topic tonight. And the topic uh, that we're focusing on tonight is a question that I have for Adam, which is the question, what was it that you saw in Donald Trump? What did it create for you of a kind of future in the United States that you wanted to see? What was the picture that you saw? If he's the president, this is the world as uh, I, I would like to see it. So that's going to be that, that, that question that we're going to look at, which for me is really rooted in this whole, whole conversation. So, Adam, here are, the, here are the five insights I've taken from you, and I'll be brief on these, but I uh, just want to know if, if these capture it. The first came out of the first week, and it's actually one of the questions that somebody has for you here in a little bit, and that is that, I'm trying to get your phrasing right, you felt that your spirituality and your connection with God in that relationship that you feel with the divine, that you felt like God was saying to you, Adam, here's an invitation to consider voting for Donald Trump, and it's a real option and possibility, and you should take a look at it. And so you looked at that opportunity and said, yeah, I think that's something uh, that was meaningful to me. So that was uh, how I heard you on the first week. Uh, the second insight that, I've, that, that I got from you was, do you, do you want to respond to each of these uh, as we go? That'd be great. Yeah. yeah. Why, why don't you respond to each of them? Okay. Yeah, I'll do it fast too. I think that that is a pretty good articulation. Um, pretty good articulation of it. Uh, and just the, the biggest point surrounding that wasn't that God said, vote for Trump. It was trying to understand the larger picture that he was doing in our nation and in the world and how uh, a candidate Trump played a part of that. It mm -hmm. wasn't just Trump is going to come in and save the world like, you know, take over Rome and hail Caesar. Yeah. Uh, but he was a part of a larger plan. So the invitation was to tap into God's heart for the nation and what he was doing and consider Trump as a candidate. Right. The second insight I got from you was that there were some important changes on important policies that really mattered to you around unraveling some of the things that you saw in the Obama eight years of being the president, that there were some real changes that you thought needed to happen in immigration or posture around the world. Um, the, the kinds of things that really mattered to you, you, you heard in Donald Trump, those are changes I want to unravel. And that was something that really motivated you to, to be a supporter of him. 
the third was the choice was clear. If you had to choose between voting for one candidate or the other, you were going to not vote for Hillary Clinton, and Donald Trump was a much better choice than voting for Hillary Clinton. And you're someone who's engaged in politics. You didn't see it as something you wanted to sit out on, so the choice was clear. Not her, him. Does that get at it? All right, number four, the you looked at... You, you looked at the risks of uh, Donald Trump and his um, lack of experience, his temperament and all, but you felt that the benefits outweighed those risks. You were not naive. Uh, you looked at them and said, but I think these other benefits outweigh those risks. And it was something you considered deeply and were willing to, to make that vote with all the risks uh, aware, you know, in the, in the forefront. Yeah, you can, I, I can, if I go to like a, a, a leftist cocktail party. I'm going to hire you as my spokesperson. I'll just let Please you do. Please do. And the fifth, this was the biggest learning for me. This is the thing that was personally most helpful um, for, for me and the thing that was the most surprising. Um, you articulated that in your view, the presidency is not our hope. And it's really not that big a deal. And that the people like me that are freaking out are the ones that really have explaining to do, Christian leader. Why are you so wound up that we've got the wrong president? And why do you think that's the thing that we should worry about, both in don't you trust God, but also don't you trust the people? And four years or eight years isn't all that long, and you can live through it. And why are you having such a fit about it? Uh, that, that, was, uh, that was a real insight for me. And I don't know if you intended that or if you still think that, but you felt like, hey, we can give this a try, and if it doesn't work, fine, we'll do something else. And it's no reason to say the sky is falling. Yeah, I think that that's, that's like 80% articulated it. The, the only part I'd want to clarify is that I do think the presidency is a very big deal. I don't just think it's like electing, you know, a governor or, you know, that office is a very important office. It's imbued with a lot of power in our nation. I think probably too much power. Um, and it is an important office. Um, but ultimately, as a Christian, as a believer in uh, the redemption of Jesus through his people, uh, for all people, that the true work for this nation has to come through the people, by the people, and our nation is still for the people, uh, even if many in Washington don't still recognize that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, that, that's, th this has all been very helpful, and I hope people hear that we've been listening to each other and talking to each other. And, and I, you know, I, I would say that all of those conclusions or perspectives are based on a certain set of information and decisions that you've made and things that are important to you that we may differ on. But it's, it's helped me to not, to have more handholds in which to say, this is, if I'm going to, if I'm going to climb this argument of why someone could vote for Donald Trump, there's enough handholds here to, to, to make that argument. Good. And, and, and by the way, as a very postmodern president, this Donald Trump is really doing something. I, I, you know, I'm a real advocate of postmodern theory and postmodern truth claims, and it doesn't always work out great. <clears throat> so uh, I think that's a big part, which in two weeks I'd really like to talk about, maybe in our final, our final week, this whole epistemological conundrum some of us think that we're in in this country. Yeah. So, yeah, all right, we'll, so we'll define epistemological for some people. Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, it'll be it'll be like uh, like senior week, seventh yeah. uh, seventh week of undrumped. Okay, uh, we'll do you want to dive into the questions us. that people have for us? I'm sorry. 
Do you want to dive into the questions that people have for us? Yeah, let's do it. We uh, we got a few of these ahead of time earlier today. Um, so go for it. All right. So Adam, one of the questions that, uh, that I thought was a really good one, and you, you reflected on it a bit already, so I want to give you another chance at it. It came from Colby Martin over there in San Diego. And, and Colby asked, asked this question. Um, as someone who's a Christian leader, and this is some of his phrasing, some of mine, if you, like me, he writes, understand the Bible to offer us, quote, fruit production as a means of discerning a person being of God, what quote, fruit did you see in Trump's life that let you say, yes, this is confirmation that God has chosen this man and I should be a supporter of him? What, what did you see in him as a man, as a person, uh, if that was something that you, that you held to be important? Yeah, it's a good question. So that specific passage, the fruits of the Spirit, um, is a passage that indicates the activity and function of of the Holy Spirit from Jesus working in the life of a believer. Um, that, that when we have the Spirit of God inside of us, with us, that we have patience and kindness and joy and peace. And ultimately, the last one, the most neglected one, is self-control, um, which I think most obviously, uh, you know, President Trump has some, some room to grow in the area of self-control. Um, but specifically to the point of the question is that the scriptures do offer us uh, a way to ask the question, is the activity of God's renewing presence functioning in the life of people? It's not a litmus test for whether they're good or bad, but it's showing people um, a way to, to help understand how God moves inside of us to, to renew and restore us. Um, I don't conflate the activity of the Holy Spirit uh, as evidence of fruit in someone's life with the um, election of an elected official. I think that um, God works differently in the lives of his people and in his church polity and his body than he does in nations. I think that a great example of this is the way that Jesus came and his disciples seemed so focused on wanting to overthrow Rome and liberate Judea uh, the Galilee and, and, and Israel from the, the throes of Roman occupation, that they continued to miss that Jesus was saying, the kingdom is not here, it's inside of you. It's as close as your breath, it's at hand. And so as a Christian leader, I know that being engaged in my government, being engaged in the ruler, uh, the, the ruling powers of the nation that I was born in is an important civic duty and activity. But I don't necessarily attribute the same standards that God put for church leadership and deacons and elders and the fruit of the Spirit in the life uh, onto our leaders. Hmm. Most assuredly, I would like to have a leader that exhibits the fruit of the Spirit. Um, but to really get at what I think needed to be done there, uh, we'd need to talk about how God deals with governments and how, what our role is with governors. Um, and, and I think part of where that question has come from, from that from Colby, is one that I've heard from other people, which is some religious leaders who support Trump will say things so deeply where if you reject Donald Trump, you are rejecting God's chosen leader. And there becomes a conflating. And some people talk about the United States being a Christian nation, and therefore we should have these Christian kinds of leaders and these Christian values. 
I hear you saying you want to make a distinction that this is not a Christian nation. The agenda of God for Christian people, as a you know, Christian scriptures would call, uh, does not extend to the national spaces. It's for the church and not for the national spaces. And so this country's not held to the standards, and uh, we should not determine this to be a Christian nation and thereby held f- having to hold to Christian teachings. Is, is that what you're saying? No, no. Um, I mean, that to say no to that is to then say that I agreed with the opposite of that, which is not what I want to say either. I wasn't commenting on whether we have a theocracy or a Christian nation in that capacity. I was trying to get at the nuances that our primary function, our activity in the kingdom of God is mm-hmm. about bringing his kingdom. And his kingdom is not limited by national identity, national rulers, but his kingdom is demonstrated in the lives of the people of God, exhibiting the power of God through the way they love. So, Do you think it's if, a Christian nation, though? So if you want to talk about that, um, yeah. if, specifically, uh, to call America a Christian nation, I think some people reference that phrase and use that phrase differently. Some people say that phrase is that the phrase means that, Christ, that America was founded by, uh, by predominantly Christian people on Christian principles derived from the scriptures. And if that's what they mean, then I say yes. America is a Christian nation because it was founded on some constitutional documents and the Bill of Rights that has rights derived by God. And the principles inside of that are, are very much Christian and given to us um, from Judeo-Christian tradition. But to say that America has to be led in such a way that um, the government in D.C. should operate like our Christian churches— and they should function like a pastorate or a board of elders or deacons? No, I don't want that. I don't think that that is the best um, way for America to be governed. In fact, looking at the scriptures, it's interesting, bigger discussion here, but it's interesting that Israel thrived when they didn't have control of the government. Right. Connection to God thrived Mm. when they didn't have control, and when they got control, they did altars to Baal and did a whole bunch of nasty things. So I think there's a conversation in there. So so do you get uncomfortable when you hear other Christian leaders saying things like—and I think they're fringy, so I don't feel compelled to respond to them—but there are a lot of Christian leaders who will equate support of Donald Trump with— supporting God's chosen leader for this country. Does that does that throw you at all or do you are you, are you as a lot of people I hang around with are really bothered by that and when they yeah. hear Christian people supporting Trump, they have a hard time separating those um that 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 group into, you know, two different two different perspectives. Yeah, I can appreciate that and I I do sort of cringe when it's it's so sort of black and white of like you know, if you don't support Trump and whatever he says, then you're not you're not honoring God or you're not supporting God. Yeah. I I think it's a total fallacy and it's unbiblical to say that whatever one one, one person does one hundred percent of the time is God's will. Um, and uh, I just think that there's a much better way to approach that. We need to talk about issues. We need to talk about specific direction. Um, and you know, to the degree that I was in a sphere of influence to have a voice. I would encourage uh, Christian pastors and Christian leaders um, to not make that mistake to say mm-hmm. that that Trump was God's anointed and you can't oppose him because you're opposing yeah. God. Um, yeah. 
On the other end of it, I would want to encourage people to take a harder look at um, what God is doing in this nation and how and how Trump and some of the things that are happening play into that. Yeah, which we'll get to after these questions, because that's really yeah. the root of the question, right, is uh, right. what was the imagination you had, the dream you had that this voting would, would have something to do with? All right, uh, turn the table. You have a, Did any of people you heard from have a question for me? Yeah, um, this is from, I sent it to you, I'm going to pull it up here. This is from um, Kelly Flores here in San Antonio, and she wrote this. She said, I'd love to know how Doug views the role of trust in his support of a candidate. Hillary had a major trust problem that goes back decades, and it's based on her actions, not her gender. Even today, Donna Brazil talked about the evidence she has of primary rigging. So how does a serious, informed person develop trust in a candidate who's proven themselves untrustworthy at every turn? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. And I would say if there was a candidate who had proven themselves to be untrustworthy at every turn, I wouldn't support that candidate. I'll let the pregnant pause be my commentary about why I chose Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump. I, I will say this. Uh, I don't I don't hold to everything that 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 Hillary Clinton holds to. There's a number of things about how she ran her campaign, the way the DNC operated, the way Robbie Mook made deals with uh, with the DNC to take it over. That stuff's deeply, deeply troubling to me. And had I known that going into the election, it may have changed my my support. I don't think it was a rigged election. I don't think it was a rigged. Uh, um, so you disagree with Donna Brazil? No, I read Donna Brazil's piece, and I don't think that's what she said. But yeah, I, I would say that it was I a rigged that, primary. That, yeah, the, not election, think, but primary. No, I understand. Yeah, I I read that very closely two times, and I think she's saying things were not as as equal as they should have been. I don't think that means that Bernie Sanders would have had more delegates, but that's not. I mean, that's that's not that's that's neither here nor there. Um, I will say all this. The the notion that Hillary Clinton for years has behaved in unethical or untrustworthy ways. I just reject that notion at the start. Right. So which is why. So if someone says, well, how could you support someone so bad and untrustworthy? Or, you know, we've we've talked before you and I about conspiracy. I think are conspiracy theories. Other people think are just hidden facts about the Clintons being involved in they're all kinds hidden. of bad things. Uh, I, I think those things are not true. I think they're just demonstrably not true. So I don't find her to be, to be un, untrustworthy. Um, and that's, I think that's a real difference between some, you know, between some people who find her to be untrustworthy, lots of people I know and love and people who don't. And I'm in the category where I don't Not that's not to say that she's any, everything she's ever done goes without, without scrutiny. But I think on the, on the, the balance of it, I found her to be a trustworthy person. But I think it's a really good question. And, and, and I totally do reject the conspiracy theories about murders that they've been involved in or things in Haiti or um, uh, the, the foundation. I, I pay a lot of attention to that stuff. Uh, I have no, there's no hesitation in my mind to say, I don't think those carry much water. But I, I, get, the, I get the point in the question. If you did believe those things, then that really matters. Um, and I think and this, that's I think that's a real difference between Donald Trump. I feel, I feel like the people who still voted for Donald Trump said those things are true, and I I grant that they're true, but I still support him. And um, I'm not a, I'm not just you know just a blind eyed Clintonite. In fact, Bill Clinton. I'm not a big fan of Bill Clinton. I voted for him once, but 
I'm really not a fan of the way that he operated as the president, his policies, his decisions, and the way he operated personally. He's not my he's not my cup of tea. Uh, was he running for a third a third uh, term somehow? I don't know that he would have had my vote, but uh, Hillary did. So yeah, so I can I can appreciate that you just you reject the facts as they've been presented by multiple outlets about Hillary and her involvement in some of these things. You just yes. reject those as facts, and I, and I think right. that that you know we had talked offline about maybe having a discussion surrounding some of that here in I'd the love next to do week. That. Or, yeah. I mean, that, and that, that's part of it. Like, it's hard. Like, how do you know what's yeah. true? How do you determine that this is a fact and this is not a fact? And yeah. facts don't exist in isolation. You know, there's always interpretation of data. That's data right. isn't um, just this neutral, non-partisan right. um, uh, right. thing. So, um, yeah. Fa- facts are not we'll facts. Get... Facts are conclusions drawn by data and experience and assumptions. So there's a lot that goes into it. I think it's pretty. I mean, I, I have no. I'm I'm not hung up at all on if the Clintons uh, have been behind the murders of people. I'm no on that. That's a hard no. And if I ever found out that they were, yes, she would. I would. I would regret my decision to have voted for, her, for sure. Yeah, and uh, she would have to be in order to find out that she was. She would have to be convicted in a court, right? I think. Well. Yeah, I think she probably would be convicted in court if it was proven that she was. I don't think that I don't think it takes long for an indictment to come down. I think it takes pretty short order. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, there's no doubt. Yeah, the the difference between an accusation or a suspicion or a conspiracy and something that's provable, that's a big difference. And I actually do trust the institutions enough in our society to be able to say we can trust enough that. The Bill and Hillary Clinton are not lawless people running uh, through this country in, because of the support of the dark state or something. I think I, I don't believe that's why or how, because if that was the case, as you and I have talked offline about, why is she not the president of the United States today? If they can stay out of prison, if they can kill 90 people or more, why? Uh, was he impeached and why did she lose a primary and then lose an election if they have that kind of power? It just doesn't hold. And, and she's not in jail and all the rest of it. So, there, I mean, there's a whole lot more around Hillary than, than though that particular fringe question. Um, but sure. you know, I, but I like you, to hear the, the, the people that I know who hold to those other questions also tend to hold to that stuff. But, but part of the concern I have is that th- I think I would totally do a podcast and a multiple week series with anybody on how a guy can vote for Hillary Clinton? It's a really great question. Uh, I want to make sure that on this one, we stay on the topic of how did you decide to vote for Donald Trump? So I don't want to grandstand the why Hillary's a better choice than Donald Trump. I, I think it's obvious, uh, but not everybody does. So, And that's a, that's a moot point at this, at this point, it seems to me. Yeah. Had she won, I think people could have asked that question because the implication of those decisions are playing out in our daily politics and our life but around the world. part of so. that underneath, which sort of starts coming back up, is why does a conservative side, what, what was the opposition to Hillary not just in the specific yeah. points of fact surrounding the behavior and some of the things that were concerning, but, you know, the direction and the policy. And so that's, I mean, I think that that's totally. still a valuable conversation. Oh, totally. Look, look, if, if, the, sing, if, if the single answer was, if, if when you and I started talking, the answer that you gave was, it was a binary choice. 
I couldn't bring myself to vote for. Her. I have a lot of friends who are that way. Uh, yeah. That would have been one thing. There's, I feel like with you and a lot of other Christians, though, there's more to it than that. And that's what I'm trying to get into. The binary, yeah. I get. And, and in fact, fact, I grant it, there's a lot of reasons that you might pick one over the other. Um, uh, or or th- th- there's a lot of circumstances where you'd pick one over the other. I'm interested yeah. in the multiple reasons on this one. So I'm not trying yeah. to dodge any question at all. And, and by the way, if anybody no, just I'm... watches this, I do three to five podcasts a week where I talk about all kinds of things. Subscribe yeah. to them. In fact, go over to my Patreon site and chip in five bucks a month <laughs> and you can get all that stuff all you want. So I would love to have you uh, uh, take that. I want to make sure that this is a chance for us to get at what was motivating you because I think that's of most interest to that's of interest to more people. What motivated you rather than what motivated me? I think that's yeah. true. Yeah, well, I'm pretty interesting, so I agree with you. I, yeah, I, I kind of wish it wasn't true. All right, so here's, here's the—I mean, I wish people cared what, what I thought about things. All right, so here's, here's the, the next question for you. This comes from Bob Malone over there in Alexandria, Virginia. Bob said—he uh, said, forgive me, maybe I missed it from last week, but I'm wondering, Adam, would you vote for Donald Trump again? And I will add, if the election were next Tuesday, the one-year— Tuesday anniversary of the election, would you vote for Donald Trump again? Who's running against him? Um, Let's say it was John McCain. Switched parties, and you had to choose between Donald Trump and John McCain. Well, I'm not a super big fan of John McCain either. Um, you know, and you can't make an electoral decision just based on a hypothetical like that. Um, I, I get Come it. On, I get at the point. Come on, um, man. If I had to do the same choice a year yep. ago, knowing yep. what I know now under the same kinds of circumstances, but with more information after a year yep. about Trump. Um, yes, I would vote. I would vote for him again. Um, Is there any Democrat that could have been running that you would have voted for? Bernie Sanders? Um, no, I don't, I don't think I would have voted for Bernie. I would have given Bernie a much harder look than Hillary. Um, yeah, I think that, um, Bernie in particular, I, you know, if he's smart, he's going to run in 2020. Um, and I think he could decimate Hillary. Hopefully she doesn't run again, but I think that he's the future of the democratic party. Um, yeah. And I think that there's some pretty serious things that the Democratic Party is going to have to deal with in the next couple of years um, related to him. But no, I'm not a I'm not a Bernie supporter for a couple of the important Democratic Socialist principle reasons. Could there have been anybody on the Democratic side that if they were running next week and somehow we had, you know, a, a, a European style snap election and was running against Donald Trump that you could see yourself uh, voting for? Is that a possibility? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a partisan that I would only vote, you know, the, the Republican ticket. Um, have you voted for a Democrat in the, in the presidential elections before? No. So one, one hasn't presented themselves yet. No, but they might. Anything's 2020. possible. 2020. How about Doug Padgett? Would you vote for Doug Padgett over Donald Trump? What if it was me what if it was your friend Doug instead of it was me against Donald Trump? Well, man, I if I would I love to vote? have a friend that's in the presidential office just so I could have <laughs> access to power and wealth. So, yeah. yes. All right. 
Uh, okay, do you, do you have one more question for me? Um, if not, I have two questions that people had for me. My own. Yeah, why don't you ask yourself friends. a question? All right, so, so people asked me this, th this question. They said, how, this was Hannah, my friend Hannah Leader. Hannah asked, um, and I'm paraphrasing, she, she wrote it in a number of ways a number of times. How can you, four weeks in, this was after last, last week, still be dismayed at the rationale for Adam voting for Donald Trump? Doesn't that mean you're just not listening? It's a good question, right? You've been at this for a long time. How is it that you still don't get it? Um, I think my answer would be, I know my answer is, Getting it is much harder than being able, getting it at an emotional level is much harder than being able to articulate it. So I, I think I get it, mm -hmm. the rationale that you have for it, and I think it's fine rationale. I am still dismayed that those things were not, that Donald Trump's failings and obvious incompetencies, in my view, and the danger that he presented this country wasn't overriding enough. So yeah. I, I'm still a little flamuxed at that. But I think you would equally say you still can't understand how I could vote for Hillary. So I think that's just a human capacity. And I don't think my staying dismayed um, uh, doesn't mean I don't understand you. It means I, I want to understand you, even though I would still say, it. well, I, it doesn't make sense to me that you value those things over these others. But well, so, yeah, I mean, and I don't I don't think that it's um, I definitely understand how people voted for Hillary. Um, I feel like I, I get it. They have a different set of values and it's not just that they're opposing, but a lot of this I feel like is that we elevate values or sets of priorities in a different order. Yeah. Um, and so you know, there's a higher order of things and you pick one or two or three and you know it's a bigger deal than some of the others. So you go with that. Okay, here's the last one for you. Uh, this one comes from um, uh, Blaine in Dallas. He actually sent an audio file, so I'm gonna play that and people will get to hear it. So I hope this all works. Hey, Doug and Adam, this is Blaine Brazier from Dallas, Texas. Thanks so much for the show. really believe it's timely and a true gift. Um, just have a question really for Adam. I'm more on Doug, Doug's side of the political spectrum. Um, and my question is really concerning um, some friends of mine on Facebook that have been talking about the government encroaching upon their lives. And, and they are of the conservative Christian kind of side of things. And their particular issue is about vaccinations. And it's very interesting to me because I know um, there's a dialogue amongst those that have children with autism and my wife actually works in that field. It's true concern of those families. Um, however, it seems like there's a, an abundant amount of research that says vaccinations save lives. And even not just on an individual level, but also in the communal level. And so I'm interested just in your side of Trump and how you feel about those issues that are kind of broadly kind of affecting everyone, but the choices of conservatives can perhaps, I mean, maybe affect in a negative way everyone else just because they feel that the government is telling them what to do. Thank you. Okay. It's a thoughtful That's, and very specific question, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It started out on one things and it sort of meandered into a bigger question at the end. 
Um, the specific one up front about vaccinations and why does his conservative friends they have opposition to vaccinations? I don't recall really ever on the campaign Trump weighing in on the vaccination thing. Um, oh, he did. But but very much. I didn't pay attention to that. Um, so, I mean, specifically to answer that point, and then I'll get on to the second point, is that, you know, I mean, I, my family asked that question um, just because of the amount of information that was out there uh, asking the questions about the MMR shot and autism in particular, um, you know, and so we, when we had our kids, we asked the question and, you know, we got them vaccinated, um, you know, because we got, we saw the evidence um, there was, there was one that we didn't want to do right away. So we delayed it a little bit until they got a little bit older, but they're all in public school, um, and got their vaccinations. But to the question's point is that there, I think that for, for many that are concerned about the vaccination issue, there's some concern and I share the concern. It didn't move me to not do something, but I share the concern that there's sort of a general skepticism about the quality of the information that gets given to people from from some organizations around some topics like some of the information surrounding the from the CDC and the questions about vaccinations. Yeah, there's a lot of evidence that says it's good and it's safe and all of them are safe. The argument is not that all of them are not safe. The argument is that some in particular are unsafe. Um, and I think that there's some general skepticism about the quality of information that comes out from those organizations and that people want to do some research uh, and I also think there's some fear that gets involved in that uh, as well. But um, so, so his, his other part of that question was, well, the government encroaching in my life is part of the argument for keep the government out and don't make them mandate and, uh, and, and be involved like that. It kind of asked a larger question about the view of the government encroaching. And it, this happens to both sides of the political spectrum when the other parties uh, is in the administration, people feel like there's a lot of overreach from the government into their lives. Um, so do, do you have any thoughts of your, your own? Was, was your voting for Trump a part of this government overreach and you wanted to see that pulled back? And if so, doesn't that just leave another set of people uh, struggling because they depended on the government's role in their life in some way? Yeah, that fundamental question about the size and the reach of the federal government is a big one. Um, and, and I understand inside of that question, it can boil down to things as simple as vaccinations. Um, and there's two pieces to that puzzle. Yes, in general, I think the federal government's too large. It needs to be drastically reduced. Um, I think that the rights need to go back to the states and the states need to have a bigger say in how to, um, to take care of a lot of those social services. I do think that there's a role for the federal government, um, but it does need to be reduced. Um, one of the questions that was asked there was about, and you sort of hinted at this last week when we were talking about taxes, and, and you made the point that you just didn't think that conservatives even wanted to pay any tax. It was about the fact that they had to pay tax ever in general. It wasn't about the amount, it was about the principle of taxes. Uh, which ultimately sort of gets this idea that conservatives don't have any sense of collective responsibility. They're selfish and they're focused on their own individual liberties and they're going to take care of their own kids and not pay taxes and, you know, to hell with the other people. Um, I would say more and more libertarians are that way, but fair enough. So there's that narrative just um, 
I, I'm not really sure where that comes from. I think that it's patently false. Um, I think that, you know, people with conservative viewpoints are socially responsible. They've got a number of, by and large, you know, conservative people are the most charitable giving uh, demographic in the country. Um, and you can, you can take away the religious giving like the Huffington Post wants to do and say they're not more generous, they're just more religious. Um, I think that's sort of a reduction. Uh, but I think there is great social responsibility inside of the conservative movement. We care about the health care of children, the health care of other people. We just disagree on the means of delivering it. Um, and the, the claims that conservatives are not compassionate because they don't want to do universal health care or that they're concerned about vaccinations and don't just buy lock, stock and barrel everything that gets given to them by the government. That doesn't mean that they don't care socially responsible for people tending to their neighbor and donating to charities and donating to good causes and showing up for hurricane relief. Um, sure. Well, okay. Uh, let, let me comment a couple of things there. What my comment last week was not that I wanted to suggest that conservatives don't want to pay any taxes. My question was last week, what's the percentage? If it's too high now, what's the right percentage? What's yeah. the number that people would say, oh, you should totally pay 10%, 20%, 30%. What's the percentage? Because it's been as high as 90%. And for some people, it's down to zero. And I've never heard an answer where someone says, this is the right amount. Even You even get to the flat 10% tax thing that was being floated around for a lot of conservatives. Well, there's a lot of answers. That wasn't there, right. There's a lot of answers so, being offered between 10 yeah, and 20%. So, yeah. So, so then, and, and after so, you said so my, that, my question was not that you don't want to pay any taxes. My question was, what's the amount that would be right where conservatives would stop saying we're taxed too high. What's the yeah. number where that argument would stop be being made? Because I feel like it's been made at every tax bracket all the time. And I think that, that, that is a different kind of question than, are people compassionate? I will also say this But you argument, said something right after that, that when yeah, I that said we, 10 to 20%, you said, oh, I don't think that they'd even want to pay zero. Like if you, even if it was zero, yeah. they'd say that was too much. I, I, which, I, do, I do believe that. I, I do believe right, that. Right, which, that, that which leads me to would, the conclusion the that it's not about the amount. It's about their lack of compassion. No, it's like about that's, the that's fact that- That's how I get there. Oh, okay. I could see that. that somebody would think that I was talking about lack of compassion. I don't think paying your taxes is about compassion. I think it's about responsibility, not compassion. I think it's about the responsibility we have for one another. I don't think it's an issue of So compassion. the conservatives don't have responsibility for other people because you think that they yeah. want to pay zero. I, I think if someone says, I don't want to contribute, I, I know better what to do with my money than the government knows what to do with my money, and I want to pay zero taxes, I think that's an idea that they don't want to fulfill their civic responsibility with all the rest of us. Now, some play, yeah. we, we might say we're not going to tax income, we're going to tax something else. Fair enough. But I think the idea that we're taxed enough already, that we shouldn't, that we need to cut, 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 like the, the, the branding <laughs> was this week, that idea is just cut, 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 right? Okay, so, so that's my point. But I do want to make this other point about the government, even now that we've launched totally off of that. And, because I don't, I don't think this is a question about how could a Christian be a conservative. I will, I've said this, I think, every week. I'll say it again this week because it's important to me. I don't think that's a question that I hold or that is worth holding. I think it's totally reasonable for someone to be a fiscal or social conservative and be a Christian and be uh, a Christian leader. I, there's never been a moment of hesitation in anything in me about that. My question is not, how could you be a conservative? My question is, how could you support Donald Trump? 
I don't even think he's a conservative. I don't think he holds those values. I don't even think that's no. what's going on. This is not that old conversation about how bad Hillary is or how bad conservatives are. That's not the conversation I wanted to have on this. I've wanted to ask this question. I think Donald Trump is different. I think there's something different going on. And when I hear Trump supporters just return to the same old refrain, it makes me say, I don't know that they're paying attention to the same issues that I'm paying attention to, and I'm trying to figure out why. Because I okay. think he's out of step. I think he brought in a whole faction of people that the Republicans and conservatives have kept out for other, for all other campaigns over the last 75 years. He welcomed them right in. I think something changed. I think his notions about the federal government, I think his conspiracy theories are a whole other deal. So I, I'm not trying to rant against Trump here. I'm trying to say, I think this is a different question, and I don't want it to this conversation to only turn into why are conservatives good or bad people? I don't think they're good or bad people. I think there's good and bad people on all sides of these things. That's not what it's about for me. And I think you could make lots of arguments about how conservatives have a very Christian rationale. Fair enough. It's not the one I hold. It's not the one I would advocate for. I think it's a fair argument to make. Still stuck on this this question about how was Trump not one that somebody had to sit out on? So can we pivot into that question uh, for, for you sure. for tonight? And now instead of taking 15 minutes for the, the the questions like we thought maybe we would do, we have 15 minutes left for this one. And 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 that's this question: What was the vision you had for the country or for yourself or for the world that matched Donald Trump? when you voted for him. So you said there was something that was going to happen, some vision I had, and voting for Donald Trump, those two fit together. What what was that vision, and how was that connected to Donald Trump? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I want to pull it up here because I wrote it down a year and a half ago. Really? Like you were you were thinking about this and wrote it in a journal or in a, in a device yeah. somewhere? Wow. Yeah, man, I got my journal. I've been... I've been Keeping journals for decades. Wow. Can you it's post those there. just online so we can get to know you a little better? Huh? Can you post those online so we can get to know you a little better? Yeah, well, I'm you're about teasing. to get a little taste of okay. it. Okay, all right, all right. So um, on December 31st, um, 2016, uh, I sort of have a, I have a habit of reflecting at the end of the calendar year. I do this also um, during Sukkot, uh, at the Jewish calendar year turn, and then also at the uh, Gregorian calendar year um, in honor of my culture. And you know, if you're um, an American, you do it on the 4th of July. Huh? If you're a real American, you do it on the 4th of July. That'd be the well, if I was a real American that knew history, I would do it a couple days earlier when the they actually signed the deal yeah, and not a couple years point. later when they had the parade because it was not <laughs> that's wartime. Good. That's a good point. So go Team America. Um, so yeah, I, I got a sense, um, in December and just sat and prayed through and thought through. And this was, uh, about a year ago, the election had already happened. Um, and, uh, this was sort of the vision that, that I felt like was, uh, I was able to articulate it. It was some things that I felt like in my time of prayer and study that, um, that I was, uh, coming to understand. Um, and so I felt like what this 2017 year was going to be, that it was going to be a 1776 year for America, that it was a year mm -hmm. that we declared independence from globalism. And I feel, I know that's a strong statement, but that's a big part of the vision that I see. Okay. Um, 
The specifics of how that's going to happen, man, I don't know. Um, but that was a primary thing that I had vision of and am hoping for. Uh, and I've watched some of it begin to happen with, with a President Trump. Yeah. Is, that, is that America's course would be turned from the last eight years of Obama. I think um, W did quite a bit of it. Uh, so did Clinton moving towards more of a globalist ideology, um, ceding some of America's national sovereignty more towards a globalist entity. Um, And that it was very important to me that America stop uh, the course that we were on um, and withdraw from some of the from some of the treaties and some of the endeavors that were going on um, that were supporting and and instilling globalism. that's a big topic, yeah. and it's a big yeah. word, so I just want to define it briefly so that we know what targets I'm shooting at here with my statements. Um, broadly defined, the idea of globalism that really got established, you know, well, I mean, early beginnings with the Brentwood Agreements um, when the U.S. was instituted as a monetary standard for the globe, which after the Second World War uh, since that time, there's been an idea that's been growing with the creation of the IMF and some, some international mm-hmm. banks and monetary funds and all kinds of global financial institutions that the world would be better off if we had more access, if developing nations had more access to this global commerce. So in order to have more access to a global market, we needed to have some standardized ways of purchasing, creating the dollar as the global currency standard. Um, And then that idea and the creation of international bodies began to further the idea that we could increase developing nations, give them a leg up by having more of a global commerce. Um, That idea, I thought, was really good. I think that it's important to help developing nations. Yeah, What has begun I was a little nervous right there at the end. I was like, I thought you were going to say that wasn't a good idea. No, I think it's great. Um, And... All of these philosophical concepts and these these economic ideas, they sound Mm -hmm. great in this reductionist way. But when you start putting them in practice, it's like Mm -hmm. Marxism. The guy never knew a proletariat in his life and he wrote about him for his whole life. And it's just tons of ideas that actually sent hundreds of millions of people to their graves over the last hundred years. You know, great on paper, horrible in practice. And globalism, I believe, has turned into that. Um, And there's a variety of things that we could talk about related to it. But. Um, I was really hoping and believing and continue to believe that America needs to withdraw from some of our globalist um, uh, treaties and activities um, and uh, reclaim some of our national sovereignty and more control over our economy and other things like that. Okay, can, Without, can, I, ask you, can I ask you a question about that? It's not complicated. Yeah. It's just why? Why is that a problem? Why is that something you... Why do you want the U.S. to have less... that? a different role in the world than it's had? Well, I think that, you know, part of that is um, that globalism sounds sounds good, but it's actually pretty damaging on developing nations. Um, there's issues related to jobs and, and the wage spikes. When you open up commerce and you have bilateral trade agreements with roughly a dozen different nations that you reduce tariffs and a variety of other things, it allows developing nations to get more work, but what it does is those nations don't have the same kind of regulations surrounding wage, and so it's very easy to exploit labor in a globalist economy. Um, 
For instance, there are uh, Africa loves chickens. Here's a great example. Africa loves chickens. I love chickens. Um, and poultry is a primary uh, means of protein for the entire continent of Africa. But the Brazilian, um, American, and I think Chinese poultry markets have basically influxed so much of this poultry into Africa that some of the people that are the best poultry suppliers, they can't compete with these global markets. And so it causes a tremendous amount of strain on a local economy that could have a stronger local economy, more autonomy, better paying jobs for more people. But the influx of Brazilian chicken makes it very difficult for people in Nigeria and Senegal and, and Ghana to, to do some basic commerce surrounding an, uh, uh, an industry they could develop. That's one example of how globalism can cause problems at a local level, at a state or nation level, because they can't compete with the influx of foreign goods. Um, for every dollar that America spends on a Chinese good, they're pumping four into us. Um, sure. Or for every one dollar they spend on us, we're spending four on them. It's called a trade deficit. That globalism causes problems as it relates to jobs and trade deficits. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll take, I mean, I would disagree with that. And I think the facts of how the world has developed over the last 50 years would argue with if people around the world have been helped by more international systems, more international uh, organizations and more inter international engagement. I think it's clear, but it's fair to make the argument. No, there's, it's, it's not, it's not what you, uh, it's not the world you wanted. You wanted the United States to play less of a role around the world when it came to uh, monetary policy and military engagement and our uh, general engagement in in global efforts and treaties and the like is that is that right yeah i yeah. i mean i'm not making the argument that international bodies are bad or wrong yeah. um, i'm giving some specifics some nuanced arguments that the place sure. that globalism yeah. has gotten to has caused significant problems that we need to address. And I think that we should pull back from some of the uh, trade agreements that we have and other ways of exporting globalism to begin having individual nations and states more of a confederation of like-minded shared economic interests and not just cede our sovereignty to a global body because we think it'll make everybody better. The evidence does not support that that globalism is unilaterally a good idea for the globe. Um, there's a lot. I do think UN humanitarian stuff has been good. Um, you could talk specifics and specific engagements. Yeah. There's been good and bad. Um, I'm not of the like that thinks we need to pull out of the UN. I don't want to you know, say the IMF needs to be um, dismantled. Um, I'm not making those hard and fast claims, but I do think that we need to look at the role of globalism and how the U.S., has gotten involved in a very high level and ceded national sovereignty yeah. and constitutional jurisprudence to those global endeavors. So when people would hear Donald Trump say things about NATO specifically, and they'd get all wound up, people like me, and get all worried about it, and the pundits and newsy people would say, oh my gosh, he's trying to unravel these international uh, agreements. Someone like you heard that and said, well, I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's not such a bad thing. Is, is that a fair? Yeah, we need to talk about NATO. We need to look at the American, the, the American war on coal, which is not a great phrase, but we need to look at the amount of jobs that were lost at yeah. that kind of agreement and, and the implications and the outworking of that agreement on American jobs and American economic sure. interests. And what did that actually do? Like 
coal emissions went down, but they spiked in developing nations that didn't have the same kinds of requirements that we did. Do you feel like those things weren't being looked at before, or did you feel like the people who looked at those and then concluded uh, how they should go, you didn't agree with the conclusion? Like, are you saying, hey, we've just been blindly flying and no one's been paying attention to this, and now we need to pay attention? Or are you saying, I think we have to change course because you've said a couple times, I think we need to pay attention to that. I feel like the Bush administration and Clinton administration and Obama administration paid a lot of attention to that and did very specific things. But I think what they did by paying attention to it are the things that you're not as happy with. So I just want to clarify. Yeah, I think. You're, you didn't yeah, like I do the think policy, we need to change not course. just it, you it, thought somebody wasn't paying attention. No, I'm not saying that nobody's okay. paying attention, um, particularly as rates of NAFTA. I mean, it's up for, you know, I mean, it's right. important to renegotiate trade deals. Of course. Um, yeah. And I think that there's plenty of evidence that that trade deal wasn't advantageous for the U.S., hurt our economy in some significant ways. Sure. And I think it's worth looking at well, that changing may have, it. That may have wound you up you know, as a Bernie Sanders supporter or something, right? There are were, there were Democrats who think that same thing. That that wasn't purely Trump. That wasn't just a Trump thing. That And he was there, clearly. He, that no, was his, but you asked me directly his, about when no, he says, let's yeah. look at NAFTA. I'm yeah. just answering that. No, I meant NATO. When, when he said this oh. thing about NATO... Uh, sorry about that. That's that's. I don't know if I said NAFTA. I meant NATO. Uh, when he says these things about NATO and people freak out, um, someone like you. So said, what things oh. specifically? I mean that 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 the NATO treaties that the 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 partners inside of NATO haven't been paying their NATO yeah. dues. And we that might they need pull to... out of NATO, or NATO's obsolete, or are we going to fund it? I mean, it's a big deal. It's a big news story. And then when he went to NATO and talked, and so I'm just saying that a lot of people were worried about our international reputation and they were worried about the Paris Accord and I'm imagining that's something you're happy that we that we pulled out of. When you hear John McCain give a speech like he gave yes. last week and he says things about this kind of nationalist mumbo jumbo, we put that to bed a long time ago and we are we we are going to maintain our international agreements as a Republican. Uh d- is that the same? Is that the same thing you're that was frustrating to you and caused you to be supportive of Donald Trump? Is that that kind of establishment Republican was still talking about this internationalism and the United States role in the world? Um, I'm not really sure I understand the question. I'm 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 sort of just kind of stuck on the fact that that I want to talk specifics about the Paris Accords and about NATO. And it's not just, oh, Trump is bad. He said he's, you know, we're going to be bad in America or bad internationally. He said specific things about NATO. Not all of them I agree with, but the first thing that he said about NATO was that they're not paying, the NATO nations are not paying their dues to support the individual countries that they're not doing their end of the agreement. And you know what? A bunch of people started paying their dues. The funding started coming in. The U.S. had primarily funded NATO, overwhelmingly funded that compared to the other nations. And so money started coming in. Um, So it's not just, oh, Trump is going to make us look bad. No, there's a specific policy point about a specific thing that needed to be addressed. That's what I was in support of. And the withdrawing of the Paris Accords, I thought that was good. Not because I hate the earth and want to rape it with my American capitalism, but because I didn't like the way that we were being taxed and those taxes were supposed to go over to other nations for carbon emissions taxes. And those third, third world or developing nations didn't have the kind of regulations. And our coal emissions were going down and theirs were going up. 
those are specific policy points um, yeah, that I right. think and, are and important look, I'm not, and not I'm, just a I'm, broad stroke. I, I want to grant that it's fair that you have a lot, that the opinions you hold, you have rationale for them. I'm not questioning you have a rationale for them. So, uh, so I'm not trying to say don't explain wh- what the problem would be with international accords or something. I, I'm granting you, yes, you, that's a, one of the things that you saw about the future was us having a different role in the world. So I, and, and I don't want yes. to say, I, I'm not at all saying that, that that's not supported by something. And I don't know that the specific argument that you and I having conversations about the specific arguments of that uh, are going to get anywhere. I differ on those. A lot of people differ. There's a lot of different opinions. There's dozens and dozens of opinions about international. What I'm trying to get to is what was the world, what was the world you wanted to see? Not just I'm articulating what's the rationale behind each one of those. So I, I don't, I, I'm not yeah. trying to not to listen to your explanations. Uh, I'm trying to get the full picture to be able to say, oh, this is someone who thinks that our role in the world needed to be readjusted. That's a big deal. Uh, but that's not a full picture. That's, that's a glossy reductionist view. The full picture is we need to change our role in the world by one, doing something about NATO, Two, pulling out of Paris Accords and not just buying some international bodies requirement that we that we shut down massive energy sources in our nation to make the world safer. I question that. Let's talk about that. Don't don't lambast, not you in particular, but don't don't demonize conservatives or people that were supporting of Trump to pull out of the Paris Accords and accuse us of destroying the planet. There's well, specifics. It, does, it that is going to destroy see. the planet. If you want to talk about specifics, it's going to specifically harm the planet. So people aren't. The, the pushback is not just, um, oh, I don't know what you're talking. The, the pushback is equally as specific. Um, so I, I don't think it's fair to say, well, it's not a full picture to say, I want to have a different role about international affairs, and we have to get into the details of each one of those because um, it, the, each one of those. Uh, arguments are rooted in a larger sense of how you want to see the world. And that's what I'm trying to get at. So I'm guessing that there's more than just our international role for you. There's something more to it than that. When you had a dream about what the world would look like and how, what could be made possible if Donald Trump uh, ideas yes. and his presidency. Yeah. I, w- you- I was also concerned about religious liberty uh-huh. um, in America, closer to home. Um, I was concerned that, um, you know, we, there was quite a few attacks on religious liberty. Um, and I was not a fan of Miss Clinton and her, her statements about religious liberty and the things that she would promise to do. Um, trying to bring up some notes here because I think that it's important to be able to help to understand one of the things that Hillary said in a 2016 presidential campaign speech where she said, um, actually, this was in 2015 at a Women's World Summit. She declared that, quote, deep seated cultural codes, religious beliefs and structural biases have to be changed. This was a statement that concerned quite a few conservatives. And this was part of why people mm-hmm. at then 2016 meeting in June um, mm-hmm. where the evangelicals threw their support behind Trump in mass. This was a major concern that 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 Miss Clinton wanted to to unroot or to root out deep seated cultural codes. The people that were clinging to their guns in their Bible, the third of the nation that was a basket of deplorables that just believed this kind of stuff. 
Um, mm-hmm. There's other statements that she makes. The WikiLeaks emails with Podesta um, and Sandy Newman, they talk about a need for a Catholic spring to overthrow um, some of the roles of the Catholic Church and write in really derogatory terms about mm-hmm. that. She opposed all state versions of the Federal Religious Freedom Res- Restoration Act, um, which uh, caused some significant problems. And so these are a few of the examples of why uh, was yeah. concerned about Hillary's direction for religious liberty and why I believed specifically that Trump was more friendly towards evangelicals and mm-hmm. that he, he would not be... Um, I wasn't sure how well he would support, but I was pretty confident that he would not oppose and try and unroot the deep-seated religious beliefs that a majority of Americans have. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. I I, I would agree with that. Yeah, I would say to frame it as religious liberty and then use those examples is a is an appropriate way because that's how you see it. But it's a curious way to do it. Those okay. arguments she's making are saying that there's religious dogmas that are infringing on people's liberties, specifically some of our uh, approaches and laws around contraception that is clearly rooted, in my view, out of Catholic theology, and it's becoming national policy. And that's something that someone like me as a religious person thinks, that the way we maintain our religious freedoms is to not have the government be engaging like that. So th- it's interesting, though, that the, that you frame it as religious liberty. I think that's, that's worth a conversation in and of itself if that kind of reframing is the appropriate way to say what's being taken from us is our liberty when what we're doing, when some people would say what's happening in some parts of our country is that religious ideas and dogmas are being pushed on other people, and they're trying to say, well, I should have the freedom to express my religion even if it means I violate other laws. And that's so why she's against the religious, the, the, the religious Liberties Act. Yeah. Well, and I, I, mean, would, I would oppose something like the Hobby Lobby decision, right? I would say, no, that kind of decision that, that um, somebody gets to say, I'm not held to those standards because of my religious conscience, even though I'm just running a business, that's something I think is really problematic. And uh, I, so, I, but I don't know that phrasing Because people have liberty. a right to have the government pay for their abortion medication and contraceptions. I mean, is that part of the liberty that the Catholic doctrine, it's not just the Catholics, um, Christians, by and large, many of them opposed that. Um, Contraceptions? No, no. Most Christians don't, other than Catholics, do not oppose. And most It wasn't Catholic just about people, contraception. It was also about abortion medication. It was, look, it, it's about... It's about contraception. I mean, the, the contraception is in the whole case was about that. So, but again, the the point being, and this is the, what happens all the time is that um, somehow the facts that are just so obvious, then they get rooted in with something else, right? And I get it. There's a big debate about abortion. No, the government should not pay for people's abortion. No, the government is not paying for people's contraception. But your health insurance should have to cover it and not have an exemption for it, based on some owner's sense of their own religious identity. That's the point. That's what that argument is about. That's so, but to frame that again as religious liberty, I think it's a fair argument because I think you do feel that it's about religious liberty. Uh, I I just find it, I I think that kind of turn of phrase, that sort of, that, that move, that postmodern kind of move to make that about this and then to put a bunch of things under that category and to recategorize it, I think that's something that in, in coming weeks, I think is really interesting for us to talk about because I think that's what happens. 
uh, so often. Well, the, I can appreciate that. And I think the reframing question is a big deal. Um, to key in on the Hobby Lobby discussion or the piece to that is the smallest little element of it. The biggest one was the evidence that Hillary out of her own mouth and people inside of her campaign thought that we needed to uproot the deep-seated cultural religious beliefs of people in order to make progress towards a more open and thoughtful society. Um, and the, the, that absolutely is a threat to religious liberty. When someone will go on the record and say, we need to change the religious bias that exists, and then some of the ways that they talked about that, I mean, there are some significant problems related to that. And I'm very grateful that she did not get the opportunity to um, unseat many of those religious biases. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I'm going to work through other means to uproot some of those religious biases because some of those biases that we couch in religious terms are held by religion, but they don't root from it. They're protected by religion. And we've seen this in this country a number of times, right? This, this, if you put this argument that we're having right now at different times in our society, you hear people making the arguments for things that now we look back on and say, of course, that was not driven simply by religious conviction, but religion yeah. was used to protect it. So I got to tell you, I, I'm, I'm less concerned that the government's going to unroot those things than we're going to fall by the same fate that we've fallen from before. I'm less worried about that potential than the actual mm. history that, that we've lived in. Okay, can I note a couple things of, of learning for tonight? And, sure. Um, I think you're, I th I've noticed something, uh, in our conversation, I think it's partly because we get, you know, getting more comfortable with each other, which is really good. Um, that I think is the experience of a lot of people. A couple times tonight, you've expressed how it feels to you like someone's critique of conservatism tries to say they're not compassionate or someone's saying, we think that you people who are against the climate accord want to destroy the planet. I th that was something think, that someone on your feed said. Yeah, one of the early weeks. Right, right. I, I think that I think that feeds. I, I think that indicates this feeling that a lot of people have on the Trump supporting side that people think badly of them. That 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 there that there's this attack happening to them that they don't yeah. feel like they're taken seriously. That yeah. they they that 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 they're called, uncom you know you know non compassionate. That they're called globe killers. That they're right. That there's this kind of vitriol that people feel. I don't know if everyone's sending that message, but I think that's a big part of the divide that's happening. Is that there's yeah. this real sense that that so many Trump supporters feel like they've been attacked at a very personal and deep level. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Yeah. Um, and I think that the way that, you know, culture has, you know, talked about Trump and Trump supporters justifies that response. Um, and I, I definitely think that that's an issue, um, you know, and and part of that, I think, is warranted. And another part of that is part of my some of my life passion Mm -hmm. to help people come out from from the identification of their ideas with their identity. Mm -hmm. Cuz mm -hmm. I am not my ideas. 
And it took me a long time studying philosophy to come out from that because right. it was painful yeah. as, a, as a little white conservative Christian boy in a philosophical department that was, you know, postmodern and existential nihilist, um, arguing for Jesus with a bunch of Buddhist professors. And I mean, it was a struggle for me, but people need to learn they are not their ideas, that their identity is not wrapped up in, in their beliefs. Now, who they are and what they think are connected, but coming to know who they are, that they're loved, that they're valued by God, that they have a, a support structure that loves them for who they are, not what they think or can do for them. All of that stuff that's involved inside of a social construct and a religious spiritual connection is, is something that I'm deeply passionate about. Um, and I think many people on the conservative side of things and Trump supporters, they don't have a clue about that. And I really, it, it pains me and I mm. want people to have a better understanding um, so they can stop feeling angry. Like, I don't feel angry that people think I'm stupid. I mean, that's why I'm sitting on the live stream talking to you and people are like, I can't believe you're talking about that stuff. I'm like, well, I'm not my ideas. So yeah, I can talk about ideas. Yes. If you want to know me, come to my house. We'll have a pint and we'll talk. You know, we should do that. I should come down there. We should do our seventh week down there in San Antonio. You are welcome. Um, I, I, we, we should really talk about that sometime. That'd be really fun. I, I, I agree completely, and, and thank you for saying that. I, I would add to it, there's a habit we all have of taking our best possibility of our ideas and holding that dear and taking the worst possible outcome of somebody else's ideas and holding that dear. So then we're comparing <laughs> our very best possibility with okay. their very worst nightmare. And there you go. Right. So yeah. uh, that's, I think that's that very happens. wise. And then sometimes there's things that are so obvious, right. That, that we, we, we we're playing that game and we can't tell when we're not playing that game. And when someone's just saying like, Hey, ser seriously, re rethink that, that there's a, there's uh there's some real detriment to that or there's some better ways. So I think that's a huge part of the problem. And, yeah. um, you know, that, and that's, that's, that's not new to me. The idea that you compare your best against somebody else's worst, uh, is been a problem for a really long time. So I hope this podcast and live stream at least makes a small contribution in that way. I believe it does. Two more weeks, my friend. Two more Good. weeks, and we're going to talk about a little epistemology in one of these weeks. So thanks for everyone for paying attention, for hanging in there this long, and for watching, and for being a part of all this, and uh, people that gave their questions and all the rest of it. Um, you can find things about my life at DougPaget.com, including a place where you can contribute to make all this possible. Adam Schindler at AdamSchindler.com. And we're both on Facebook, so if you listen to the audio version of this and you want to see. But by the way, if you've never seen what we look like and how we talk to each other in our in our face-to-face -face dialogue... And you're only listening to the audio. It's worth looking at sometime because I think we, I think we both, I think we're both bad poker players, and I think that's a good thing, right? Um, I'm doing this for TV. If you want, I can sit totally stale and yeah. make no faces, but yes. it's yeah. bad TV. It's bad TV. Hey, great, hey, Adam. Thanks, thanks a lot. 